Hello and welcome to UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips and I'm joined today by Fiona McKenna and Dave Smallshire from the British Dragonfly Society. How are you doing guys? Good, thank you. Very good, thank you. Brilliant, all right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Starting with you, Fiona, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Fiona McKenna. I work for British Dragonfly Society as their Conservation Outreach Officer, which was a brand new post when I started um, as I run the Hotspots Project, which hopefully we'll have a chance to chat about in a bit more detail. Brilliant. And Dave? Hi. I'm not quite sure where to start because for me... um, (laughs) Wildlife watching started when I was a teenager and I'm 70 next month. So that was quite a long time ago. (laughs) Um, Birds predominated initially, but I have been interested quite seriously in dragonflies since the 1980s and joined the British Dragonfly Society soon after it was formed. And actually not long after that became the Devon Group person, I suppose, a leader and county recorder for dragonflies in Devon. And I subsequently became a member of the Dragonfly Conservation Group, which is a a body of, dare I say, the great and the good, uh, a lot of people who help on the scientific side of BDS's work. Um, I convened that for eight years and then stepped down a few years ago and let Pam Taylor take on the role. So I've had quite a long history with the BDS and its many and varied projects. Oh, brilliant. And some Dragonfly fans will recognise your name from a certain couple of Wild Guides books, won't they as well, Dave? They will, yeah. We, um, Andy Swash and I, produced Britain's Dragonfly's first edition, oh gosh, probably getting on for 20 years ago we wrote it, and it's now in its fourth edition. And last year we had Europe's Dragonflies published. And currently we're actually updating the app based on Britain's Dragonflies. So, uh, you might like to look out for that in the coming weeks. Oh, that's something to look out for. Sticking with tradition, we'll start the show with our latest interesting sightings. So Fiona, have you had any interesting wildlife sightings recently? I have. I was very lucky to be down in the beautiful new forest at the weekend as we were launching Exbury Gardens as our latest dragonfly hotspot. So I found out a few good places um, to go and look for the southern damselfly that was on my hit list. So I've never seen them. So I'm based up in Lincoln, so I'm nowhere near southern damselfly habitat <laughs> desperate to see this little rare damselfly so i got a tip off from one of our trustees carolyn who had been down there on a course actually and uh, she'd been down to crockford stream which i think you probably know quite well because it's quite a famous site for them so i went there with our conservation officer ellie and her other half charles on a very very hot day <laughs> and we went marching off we couldn't find the car park to begin with as it was shut so we had to go to another car park and then try and find the stream on google maps and <laughs> um, so we were very hot and tired after a busy weekend working but we uh, stumbled across the stream and the first thing I saw was a beautiful demoiselle which I've also never seen before as we don't get them where I am and I've, I've not been lucky enough to be to a site where they are at the right time of year absolutely just gobsmacked by their beauty <laughs> it's such a, a good name for them as they're just so iridescent and the black wings were so striking and then I saw a tiny little blue demoiselle 
will fly. And myself and, and Ellie, our conservation officer, were just like, oh, God, could it? Could it be a southern? And we got our binoculars out, managed to get photos of it, saw all of the key features. And yeah, nearly every single one we looked at were southern, southern damselflies. And so they, they were so dinky. And then, then we saw golden ringed dragonfly and loads of keeled skimmers were zipping about as well. So yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Really brilliant sight. Loved it. Crockford Stream, it's a dragonfly fan's mecca, I think. But yeah, even more so than Thursday, personally. <laughs> oh, marvellous. How about you, Dave? Um, I've had a fairly quiet recent period because my COVID app pinged and I had to spend 10 days basically watching things around my garden, which was quite nice because I've got a lovely garden and two ponds. So plenty to look at, but nothing particularly special, although I was actually really quite surprised to see a large red damselfly suddenly appear at my pond yesterday, um, about two months after the previous one. Um, quite where it had come from, uh, one can only guess. It certainly um, hadn't emerged from my pond. Anyway, that's not quite as exciting as Southern Damselfly, I have to confess. Uh, about three weeks ago, I was up at the London Wetland Centre with my daughter, where there had been what she calls a green-eyed monster flying around, a Norfolk hawker, or green-eyed hawker, if you wish. And just as the sun disappeared and the rain was about to come, we had the briefest of glimpses of this green-eyed monster as it flew past us. That was really splendid and great to see one away from its uh, sort of traditional haunts of East Anglia and maybe now further afield, of course. Yeah, oh, that's um, nice sighting. We went, to, we went to Nep as well to see the rewilding at Nep Castle in Sussex. And although I confess our main objective was to see some purple emperors, which we did succeed in seeing, it was also quite nice to see a scarce chaser and a white-legged damselfly there in amongst the uh, white stalks and potentially other things as well, I'm sure. But that was quite an experience. Oh, yeah, I must get to Nep. I keep meaning to go. In fact, I was going to go a couple of weekends ago, but I decided it would be, because it was a Saturday, really sunny, it'd be really rammed there. So I gave it a swerve that day. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, because they are getting beavers there. So they did have them briefly last year, I think. And it'll be interesting to see how the dragonflies respond to them there because they've done quite well on the river otter i believe the dragonflies from what i hear um they have and not necessarily as a result of the beavers though i suspect but we do have one of the early beaver enclosures in mid devon and we were very excited a couple of years ago when one of our members found small red damselflies at the beaver enclosure so this was a completely new site for them and this is a, a tiny little damselfly that doesn't move very far. So it was great that they'd managed to find these beaver ponds. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so my sightings are particularly short because the last episode you heard was actually recorded the night before recording this one. So I've had 24 hours to see stuff and I haven't been out of my house. So <laughs> unless you count the nursery web spider I rescued from the paddling pool earlier, there's not much to say, really. Obviously, nice goldfinches in the garden. Normally, they've disappeared by now from my garden this time of year. They breed in the hedge and then fly away. But they've been hanging around. I actually remembered to top up the feeders. Probably helped. And my pond, which is completely choked with hornwort, and duckweed I did clear out sort of a square couple of feet and the tadpoles are still in there so they're still going I haven't seen a single froglet this year which is rather worrying but there was by my maths at least 11,000 tadpoles in there in the 11 clumps of spawn so wow. <laughs> that's on top of the ones that didn't metamorphose last year so there were some absolute giants in there yeah. Neil it's interesting you say about goldfinches because this year more than any 
Mm. I've had so many birds feeding on my sunflower feeders compared with previous years. I know we're supposed to be talking dragonflies, oh, no, but we, right. for the first time we've had siskins all through the summer. And there was a, a male at the feeders just a couple of hours ago and a pair of bullfinches, which are, for me, one of the pinnacles of British birds. But a male bullfinch sat on top of my sunflower feeders was just stunning. Wow. I do like a good bullfinch. I mean, we, we do have a bit of a running joke that birds are boring, but Vic's not here now. So I can I can admit that I like birds now. <laughs> well, they say as well, don't they, that dragonflies are the bird insects. So yeah. 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 lure people into the world of insects that way <laughs> I, I, I do like to wind I wound up a bird a friend of mine he was talking about how we did dragonflies when the birds were quiet I went oh that's funny I do birds when the dragonflies are quiet <laughs> <laughs> as you've probably gathered we're going to be talking about dragonflies and the British Dragonfly Society today so Fiona could you explain who the British Dragonfly Society are and what sort of things they get up to yes I will do my best we are a scientific society um, so we're based very much on sort of conservation science, recording, citizen science and data gathering. We formed in 1983, as Dave mentioned earlier. We've got just a few key aims really. So to improve the understanding and awareness of dragonflies and their conservation, the challenges they face, and also to conserve their wetland habitat. So kind of in a nutshell, we always say in conserving dragonflies and their wetland homes, they're our main key aims. And we do that through our network of county dragonfly recorders, who uh, <laughs> you know quite a lot about that as you happen to, to be filling that role in your area. And then we have outreach as well as another key part of our work because it's all right conserving things and knowing a lot about them yourselves within a small group of enthusiasts. But if you don't tell other people about them, then they're not going to know about them. So they're not going to care about what they don't know about, as, as the old saying goes. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of us, really. We've got kind of two arms, I suppose. <laughs> they're kind of scientific recording and then the outreach, and they both work together, hopefully. <laughs> so, Dave, you're on the Dragonfly Conservation Group, which is part of the BDS, which is the short... I've done it already. I tried to not say BDS the whole podcast. BDS, <laughs> if I say it, is short for British Dragonfly Society. It's just a habit I'm going to now. You're on the Conservation Group. What specifically do they do in the society? As well as overseeing the the role of the conservation officer, probably our longest and maybe our most important task is to run the Dragonfly Recording Scheme, which has this network of county dragonfly recorders and, of course, thousands of uh, people out there in the field submitting records to us. So that's been really important. And, of course, that has enabled us to produce now two atlases, most recently, we've been working on a means of monitoring dragonflies, looking at how their fortunes are going over time, as well as just the spatial aspect of an atlas. Um, we've been looking at uh, the possibility of counting dragonflies, so setting up transects. But we weren't entirely successful, partly because of a limitation of numbers of people who are uh, willing and able to do this. But over the last decade or so, there has been a very powerful modelling technique come into play called occupancy modelling. And that enables us to take even the most random sightings that people submit. For example, you know, somebody's 
got their phone out and taken a picture of uh, quite often an out of focus blob uh, at a pond and uh, submitted that. But, you know, if we can identify it, obviously, then it becomes a, a good record and we can now make use of all that data that comes in. So that's been very exciting. And in fact, we've been working quite hard in, in uh, recent months on the production of a state of dragonflies report. So it's going to be launched next month, but maybe we'll talk a bit more about that later. Dave, I believe you were involved in setting up the Hotspots programme. Fiona just mentioned one of them that they've just announced in the new forest there. So, so what is the Dragonfly Hotspot? Okay, well, the history behind them is that the BDS was looking at whether we would ever be in a position to own Dragonfly reserves. And I think it became quite clear because we're quite a small society. I'm not sure what the membership is currently, probably about 1800. And it's been fairly static, growing slowly for quite a number of years. And we weren't going to have the resources unless somebody left us, you know, a few million pounds, which Mm -hmm. occasionally happens, thankfully. But we were not really ever going to be in the position of of, uh, running nature reserves, specifically for dragonflies. The next best thing, it seemed to us, was to get in cahoots with local organisations, local bodies who had got reserves that were good for dragonflies and were good for people. And we were looking for a means of promoting dragonflies, promoting awareness of dragonflies and also promoting awareness of the British Dragonfly Society in that sort of joint way. And so we have now uh, a relatively small number of dragonfly hotspots around Britain, um, which are typically focused on an interpretation board with our logo on, of course, but information about what might be seen at this particular spot. And they have to be pretty good places for dragonflies and good for public access with good facilities and so on. And they're also a focal point for community involvement as well, getting both our members and also the general public involved, perhaps in, in watching dragonflies, learning about dragonflies and managing the site, perhaps for dragonflies too. All of which will be good for the dragonflies and good for getting people into dragonflies. Going back to recording, or if you could answer this one, what's the best way for people to record dragonflies? So you want to buy a book, would probably help, wouldn't it, Dave? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, which, which one would people buy? Oh, yeah. Mm. It depends on what photos or pictures is what I always say to people. And I always tell people to buy both, actually, <laughs> if they can. Uh, should I do it from a neutral point of view, Dave? Which would yes, be, please. Um, yeah, I think you should. Um, yeah. There's the Wild Guides by Smallshire and Walsh. Was it the fourth edition you're up to or the fifth now? Fourth, fourth edition fourth yeah. and if you travel in europe get the european one but if you travel if you're just sticking to britain get the british one it is a very good book i'm going to say this not just because dave's here and there's a really good table at the front that puts all the distinctive features next to each other for each dragonfly and there's a good basically it's lots of photos sort of photoshopped together showing all the different you know females males immatures and stuff for each species very good but there's also cover your ears dave <laughs> there's the oh, du- oh i'm gonna pronounce his name wrong Dixter. that's the one and the legendary artist himself richard lewington who's done a lovely book as well now I'm, I'm more of a photo guide man but yeah the lewington's got brilliant drawing and that is i think he's got a british version european version as well hasn't he so not dykstra it's brooks lewington oh it's the british one is it oh there we go so there you go so there's again with that series, there's a couple of options, but that's generally what people point to. And hasn't David Chandler just brought one out as well? Is it David Chandler? That's based yeah. on... That's, yeah, yeah. 
Great one. And you can never have too many books, so just get a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> and there's also an app on the phone, which I think only you've got though, haven't you? So there you go. If you want an app, you've got to go down the uh, wild guide soon. Yeah, the previous app. version I think doesn't work anymore, and All Apple right. have taken it off. But there will oh, be yeah. hopefully an Apple and an Android version mm-hmm. coming soon. And there is, of course, the option of going on the BDS website where there's a nice little guide to the dragonflies and a little bit about them. If you want help ID, there is the British Dragonflies and Damselflies Facebook group, which is run by me and a friend of mine, which is kind of the unofficial official BDS one now, isn't it, Fiona, I think? Yeah, we, we send everybody to you. Yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> and, uh, I can't take any credit. I chip in with IDs, but usually by the time I've seen it, four other people have identified it for you. So, yeah, That's it, a good thing though, isn't it? Yeah. I think Facebook and social media are just filling that gap really that yeah. you know other technology didn't provide it and it's, it's just such a, a brilliant platform for people to share knowledge really and people are so friendly on there it's yeah it's a great group oh, i just love it it's the easiest group to moderate we literally throw out the occasional spammer <laughs> yeah it's and people have been absolute dreaming there we're up to like is it six and a half thousand members in there now so uh-huh, yeah, it brilliant. gets id'd very quickly and most of the time people correct as well which is quite unusual for facebook groups <laughs> <laughs> especially freshwater creek aquatic um lava and stuff people always miles off if everything's a dragonfly nymph or a diving beetle lava to them and usually the wrong way around when it is one of them <laughs> <laughs> but let's not go down that rabbit hole. Neil, I'm just wondering whether I could take you off on a little tangent. Yeah, go for because, it. I mean, one of the things that we realised when we were searching images on the internet for Britain's dragonflies and Europe's dragonflies is that there are an awful lot of incorrectly identified images on the internet. So do be very careful yeah. about taking things for goss. And a, a little bit more of a tangent, I've recently been playing with an app called Seek, which comes to the iNaturalist. (laughs) And I mean, I've I've been just testing it on things that don't move that my phone can get close to, so mainly plants. And it seems pretty good. I'm just wondering whether ultimately in this really hot era of artificial intelligence, we've now got apps that identify birds from photos that will do bird songs, bird sounds, bird calls coming as well. And I think maybe dragonflies, if you can get a good enough image uh, for Seek to look at, how good it's going to be on that. Um, uh, I use it for plants. Yeah. yeah. What, what it it's brilliant for is getting you, and moths, it's brilliant for getting you to the right area of the book. Yeah. So I always check it yeah. and always look at the similar, because if you go to a book, it'll say similar species and Seek will have the right species or a similar one most of the time. Yeah. Um, there's also Plant Finder app for plants, but that's not it's, one. Uh, Seek's no. quite entertaining um, on a tangent. If you take a picture of a dog or a cat, yeah. <laughs> it's quite entertaining what it thinks they are. Oh, right. I didn't know that. I'll have to try it that. came up with some really random things like gorilla, um, Chinese main mushroom for one. <laughs> these, things are not, these things are not perfect yet, but no. they can only get better. So yeah. Watch this. Quite place. entertaining. <laughs> I think they're just advanced picture matching, aren't they? But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then that works for a lot of things, doesn't it? Not, not everything. Yeah. Unfortunately, they do flies and ichneumon wasps. You can photograph the genitalia with your phone. But yeah, that's, that sounds far more wrong than it does. I do. if, if anyone's listening to this podcast and I heard Dr. Erica McAllister talking about fly willies with David yes. Attenborough, so you know, <laughs> the step down from that. So once you've got your creature ID'd, 
but I guess I could talk this bit because that's what I do as well. Yeah, I was going to say that this is your role, isn't it? Yeah. We what sit- you do. <laughs> you can either email someone like me or Dave. If you go on the British Dragonfly Society page, it's got each county's recorder. But the easiest thing to do is to stick it on iRecord. So just Google iRecord. There's plenty of tutorials telling you how to do it. And you go through and you just put the date, what you think it is. If you're not 100% sure, you can say, you know, not sure on it. And put as good a photo as you can. We always say, if you've got a top down and a side on with it all in focus, most of the time we can get them. And even as as Dave's already said, even out of focus on some of them we can do. So a golden ringed out of focus, we could probably identify, for example. Not that I get any down here. (laughs) Not yet. Who knows with global warming? Everything's turning up. We had Norfolk Hawker and Lesser Emperor locally last week. I think that's pretty much it, isn't it, Dave? Anything else to add to that? No, I think that's that's about it. I mean, iRecord is very responsibly and respectably run by the Biological Records Centre, and all of the records are at frequent intervals forwarded to the NBN Atlas, which, you, ha- if you haven't seen it, is well worth a look. This is the, the repository of many millions of wildlife records that's publicly available, so you can see and download lots of dragonfly records from there if you're interested in what's in a particular area. So that's the way we make our data principally available to all and sundry, really. If people are new to recording as well, we have put together some resources on the website. Um, So people want to go to british-dragonflies.org.uk and then head to the top menu, the main menu to the recording section. Um, The very first option you come to is submit your records. And that's got everything on there that you've just been talking about and links to iRecord, the NBN Atlas, all those things. And also very near the top, there's a beginner's guide, uh, which our conservation officer, Ellie, had put together into a leaflet, I think last year. So that's really handy just as a beginner's guide, I suppose. Fiona, if people want to help conserve dragonflies, they can volunteer, can't they? Yeah, so we, we've got a few ways that people can get involved. So it really depends on sort of how much time you've got, what kind of activities you enjoy doing. So obviously, like you and Dave, like recording and, you know, you're good at data management and stuff like that. And you've got the time to give to a county dragonfly recorder role, which is probably a bit more involved than other types of volunteering. But we also have outreach volunteers volunteers who will run events in their area, chat to people at Dragonfly Days and things like that, or go and restock local places with leaflet. There's sort of all sorts of levels of volunteering, really. And some people like to do online only. You know, you might want to get involved with something like our Facebook group or helping with the website, anything like that. So yeah, there's so many different ways you can help dragonflies. Or if you're lucky enough to live near a hotspot, you could go along to some of the training days there, get involved go to some of our free identification courses things like that as well for volunteers so basically if you're interested in dragonflies and you like talking to people then just get in touch with us and we can see what we can put you in touch with in your local area see what opportunities there are and we'll give you the full training so don't worry if you're not an expert already because we can give you the resources to help you you know, become more knowledgeable and more confident in identifying them and, you know, go and chat to people about them and and help us recruit more people into the wonderful world of dragonflies. (laughs)
Yeah, or it's the most underrated group because there's some poor groups that are really underrated. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're fantastic things. It might be worth just mentioning the BDS also in non-COVID times has quite a full programme of field meetings. Uh-huh during the summer, spring and summer months. Designed around members, but, you know, we do welcome anybody along and I always look forward to seeing new people and introducing them to dragonflies if they're not familiar with them. And um, I don't know whether we've said this is Dragonfly Week. When we're recording. Okay, right. Okay. Well, when we recorded it, it was, but it's a long week. And there's been a programme of of meetings that are probably, unfortunately, going to get messed around by thunderstorms this weekend. (laughs) So be it. This is life. Yeah, back in the days when we all used to be able to meet and yeah, do everything. We, we did have a very full programme of events and, and hopefully, you know, in the next few years we'll get back to doing that. So yeah, we, we've got a brilliant section on our website as well. Keep plugging the website, it's got everything on it. There's an event section. So we work with volunteers again. So there's Mike Avril who puts together an amazing programme with all of our volunteers around the country and our county dragonfly recorders. I think it's usually around sort of April time we get all of those events together and we start uploading them on the website and then getting them out onto our Facebook page and promoting them anywhere we can. So yeah, just keep an eye out for something in your area. And if there isn't anything in your area, come and volunteer for us (laughs) and you can put an event on in your area. (laughs) Before we go any further, I think I'm going to have to ask the dreaded question, which is, what is your favourite species of dragon or damselfly? Oh, no. <laughs> our favourites are we, Dave? <laughs> well, I know what my favourite is, but I've, <laughs> I've seen a lot more to choose from than perhaps most people, because I have watched dragonflies in, in many continents and countries. So I have to say mine is technically the longest species in the world, and that's the blue-winged helicopter. And it's got a fantastic name, but it is about, oh, crikey, eight inches long, maybe. Um, what's that? 40, uh, 20 centimetres quick conversion. Wow. And it lives in the tropical forests of Central and parts of South America. And it, it has a iridescent blue and white wingtip. And when it flies, which it does quite slowly, the pattern on the wings makes it look like a helicopter so you've got like rotor blades going and what's amazing about these things is they just fly slowly up and down in shafts of sunlight in the forest is they're looking out for the huge golden orb web spiders and things that they've caught and they actually pluck prey out of these huge webs in the canopy so they are just the most incredible beasts i'm afraid we haven't got anything that quite compares with that in britain but we've got some nice ones, having said that. Have you got a favourite British species? Can you pick one of those? Oh. You've got a good choice already, though, to be fair. Aren't you? You're not going to really top it. difficult. I do like golden ring dragonflies. They are pretty um, There's golden rings. <laughs> they're, they're big and easy, and yeah. they are just gorgeous. And we have a lot of them in Devon. So mm. I've even had them sitting in my garden pond on occasions, which they're not supposed wow. to. I had one at Fursley last weekend. She flew right past me and then perched up in a tree in the shade it's such a hot day it was smarter than me <laughs> of course the female golden ringed is the longest dragonfly isn't it it's actually yeah. slightly longer than a female emperor and someone posted a i don't know if people know if they listen to the last episode they know this of dragonflies and damselflies they fly in tandems and the male grips around the back of the head of the female someone posted a picture on the facebook group 
was it last week or earlier this week, of a male emperor who'd gripped a female golden ring, which makes it the longest tandem pair in the country then, doesn't it? I think. Wow. <laughs> Which I thought was quite cool. Uh, but then the females, females lay eggs like they're on a pogo stick. Yeah. So unlike any other British species, they egg lay vertically and they just basically stick their abdomen down into the water and into the gravel maybe at the, uh, at the bottom and, and just bounce up and down laying eggs like that. Very yeah. unique. Next yeah. time I'm at Cock- Crockford, um, <laughs> careful you say it, <laughs> I'm going to try and get slow motion video of that because I've seen it a few times. It's nearly impossible to photograph, but if you do a sort of wide angle video, that could be quite interesting, I think. But, yeah. yeah, we've been tagged in some really good videos on Twitter recently of um, female golden rings pogoing. Which, uh, it's such a, there's Indy Kimmel Green, he's a brilliant young natural. Oh, yeah. I've seen him on Springwatch. He's mm. really his dragonflies and he tagged us into a fantastic video i think only last week or maybe a week before so if, yeah if you troll through our feed um you'll probably still I'll find look for that. that yeah he just described it as pogoing i was like it's such a, a good terminology for it like little yeah. punks pogoing in a stream <laughs> yeah somebody should try putting their phone on a selfie stick and going down low so you're at stream level that would be great wouldn't it a slow-mo version of of that yeah now you're yeah. giving me ideas last year i tried to get the banded demoiselles egg laying underwater and thought oh well i'll do it next year then someone posted a video of it so someone's beat me to it which is annoying right. but mind you i think bbc did it years ago i think there's an aquarium i've seen some people they got aquariums i'm sitting up next to the pond so the dragon damselflies come on to that that's one way of doing it but i haven't do it in the water so fiona you haven't dodged the question what's your favorite <laughs> I was keeping quiet, hoping I might choose. I I do have a favourite just because it's one of the first species that I really got to know because it's quite an easy one to identify, which is why I I liked it so much at the time. (laughs) It's got to be the southern hawker for me. And they're just so colourful. And they somebody described them as stained glass colours because they look so brightly coloured. And then they have the lovely sort of black outlines almost of the colours. And yeah, they're just brilliant. And they come and investigate you rather than you finding them you kind of feel like you've been discovered by them so it's the other way around yeah. Um, and yeah there's just something a bit kind of alien like about them I just I really like them they're super cool I kind of felt like I connected with them when it looked me in the eyes <laughs> yeah, that's, that's two species that do that isn't it the southern and the golden rings they like to fly past you and give you a, yeah. a, a checking out I find yeah, they've definitely got personality dragonflies. I know they say, you know, you, you shouldn't kind of personify and mm. humanise animals. You're always told not to do that in science. But I think with insects, you, you kind of need to give them personality because you're competing with so many other species for people's attention and for them to care about them. I think you've got to create that bit of personality. But dragonflies just sell themselves because they actually have personality, I think. <laughs> yeah, there's something. Like, when they do that, it's not like, I suppose, like a bird or a, a monkey checking you out, but they are checking you out to suss out what you are. There's definitely, yeah. you know, when I'm photographing them, I can see them looking, turning their head around to try and work out what this weird shape coming towards them is. It's a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, their eyes are so small. Like, oh. what are they? <laughs> They've only got two weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> For those that are wondering what I'm about, they have 
massive compound eyes with loads. Well, I suppose it is still three eyes, technically, isn't it? They've got, but two eyes made up of loads, and then there's one in the middle, isn't there? Tiny little one. There'll be no prizes for guessing what my favourite one is, which is the Southern Migrant Hawker, or Blue-Eyed Hawker, or whatever you want to call it. Essex Hawker is what I want to call it, but <laughs> I'm not allowed to, apparently, because it's just the prettiest of all of them, because it's just it's the same bright blue as a azure or common blue damselfly, but on a bigger scale. And the eyes are just astonishing. And their biggest selling point as photographer is they hover better than any other species. And they do it at head height. So it's sort of like, well, thanks very much. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant for that. Although the southern emerald damselfly comes close second because my claim to fame, I found the first one ever for Essex, which was quite nice cool yeah. claim to fame yeah finding a new beetle or fly that's loads of those when you get a dragonfly that's like second only to bird and butterfly i think in naturalist stakes or maybe an orchid or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's top of mind so i was quite pleased you must have found a few new ones haven't you dave in ca- different counties well, over the years I've seen a few unnamed ones around the world oh, and nice. um, found that i actually was the first person to set eyes we didn't identify it, on a gem. Uh, literally, that's what the Sri Lankans call it in Sinharaja Forest. Oh, gosh, 15 years ago now, maybe. And subsequently was named as Corbett's gem after uh, Professor Corbett, who was oh, uh, a world-famous dragonfly expert. Oh, he, did and he write was, the original New Naturalist on them, was it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got the, that's well worth getting, New Naturalist. The, the, I've got the newer one, but that references Corbett's a lot. And I was reading it the other day, actually, funny enough. It's a good old book. If you really get into them, that's the, it's quite heavy going if you're for a beginner. But if you really get into your dragonflies, you have to read the new naturalist, I think. We've covered quite a lot there, what the BDS do. But did you want to very quickly, you can't say too much about the state of dragonflies and report that's coming out. But could you give us a few hints or, you know, what's going to be in it? Okay, well, we have taken well over a million records and run it through this occupancy modelling which gives us some quite complicated statistics. But the nub of it is that we've put 50 years worth of records into the computer and let it chew away for quite a long time. And it's telling us a few surprises. We have some species in decline, which we actually weren't aware of, and which are in part going to be related to climate change. But we also have, at the other end of the stick, climate change boosting the ranges and distribution of other species. Uh, We know we've had some newcomers to Britain over the last 20 years on the back of warmer summers and maybe milder winters as well. And what this has done for the first time is actually put some numbers against these so we, we can be a little bit more confident of changes that have happened. What are significant changes. Uh, Quite a lot of increases, rather more, thankfully, than declines, though there is an underlying very serious message in that the big driver is almost certain to be climate change, climate warming. And that, of course, is not good news for us and the planet. No, it's not good. I I do remember Rory McKenzie Dodds talking to Chris Packham on Springwatch. And while, while climate change is going to doom us all, from a dragonfly watching perspective, it's actually been quite good. But <laughs> we've got what about is it? Is it four or five new species we've had in the last twenty years? Um, Add them up in my head quickly. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, four or five. So because it's just, what, we had the small red eye, yeah, the willow emerald, southern emerald, emerald, southern migrant hawker. I can't think of any more. Is it four? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, we've had other species turn up for the oh, first yeah, course, time as well. Yeah. So just odd records, so scarlet darters and things like that turning mm. up. 
So yeah, as I say, that, that's good news for us. But what you don't notice so easily are the things disappearing. So for example, in my dragonfly watching time, we've lost white-faced data from yeah. the Thursley Common that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's funny enough. Yeah. I visited there the year after it disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> I'm painfully aware of that. I had to go away up to the Cangorns to see one. Oh, no. The other things that we need to be concerned about, as with other wildlife, are, are the, the, the boreal, the northern species, mm. so the upland species in the south. So things like the you know the black darter, maybe, the common hawker. So these are the things that, that could be retreating and maybe even suffering competition from lowland species or southern species that move into their range. So this shift is not all good news. No, we have to be very careful, don't we, in the, in the dragonfly world, not to celebrate these new species or sort of with things like Willow Emerald Watch. We're always reporting, you know, oh, they've made it as far as North Yorkshire. And it's great news if you live in North Yorkshire and you want to see a Willow Emerald. But it's, yeah, it's that kind of bigger picture, isn't it? That, well, you know, is it outcompeting something else that was there as they push north? You know, what what are they going to kind of push out of, of its natural range? And things like northern damselfly as well. So we've got a big push of our Scotland officers, Andrew and Danielle, uh, doing a lot of work and our Scotland recorder Pat Batty as well citizen science just trying to get loads of people to sign up to I think it's one kilometer squares that you can adopt and so, uh, Scotland page and there's a recording page on our website that you can adopt a square if you live up in Scotland or if you're visiting there this summer it's not too late to sign up to things like that either so yeah they sort of bringing us back round full circle to what we're saying about citizen science and that we need the records and, you know, we, we need that data because like Dave was saying, you know, with a million records that we put through, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but we couldn't do any of this work without volunteers and, and people recording and, and sending us their records wherever they go. Regular listeners remember Ant Boy Zander and he's been, he's found, I think, at Oh, it was a new pond or refound yes, a new pond for Northern yeah, Damselfly. So. That have been doing all sorts of, so yeah, yeah, we've actually, a spoiler alert for any of our members, in our, in our membership magazine that will be coming out in the autumn, we have a young naturalist section and Xander, he's ant boy, I think, isn't he, on, on Twitter, yeah. um, he's actually written an article there. So him and his dad are very active and insect champions, I think I've been calling them <laughs> as they they're so passionate about about all insects, really. Yeah, doing brilliant stuff. I think he was on Spring Watch, wasn't he? Or Autumn Watch, Zander as well. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, when he, when he came on the podcast, he hadn't really looked at freshwater creatures, but I, I, I was quite pleased to see that recently he has been diving into ponds and looking at cool stuff and... yes yeah because they've, they've got a brilliant project so one of our previous conservation officers jen she went to work up in the cairngorms and i think it's the rare invertebrates cairngorms project they're oh, yeah. on twitter and social media so yeah give them a follow too because they're doing some brilliant stuff up there and of course jen loves damselflies and dragonflies so she's been really pushing the the northern damselfly surveying up there well I haven't actually publicly announced this yet, but I, I might as well do it now. It depends if it goes to plan with all the other stuff we won't mention that's been going on in the world. But I am planning to try and see every species of dragon and damselfly in the UK next year. But we want to kind of do it as a sort of raising awareness of them, as well as just not just, you know, go and tick them all off and go home again. But because living in the southeast, I can get probably about 
80% of them with a two hour car drive at most. I can get, I think I've worked out I can get over half in Essex now, and that's the way things are going. But yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about that at a later date, I think. But I thought I'd just uh, give people a heads up and I, I may require some help from some people and stuff. So that'll come later on when we know more what's going to happen next year, hopefully. Yeah. And hopefully I'll team up with the BDS. We can do some common stuff and obviously yeah. that'll hopefully end yeah. up in the Kangorns and because there's only two species I've got left to see now. But I want to try and do it all. That's a really cool there. project. Yeah, I think that'd be brilliant. I think you should write a book. <laughs> well, that's kind of kind of a thinking about it, and and for people thinking, hey, you're copying a certain dragonflight book. I've already spoken to the author about what she did, and yeah, I'm gonna have a chat to her about various things. But you know, so there's a little bit of hopefully positive news there. Yes, like all things in nature, we've got a, it's it's looking okay, but there's an underlying current of not good. There's a bit of hope with people like Xander around. That's what I like. Definitely, to yeah. The young naturalists of today and, and our youth ambassador, I need to give him a shout out, Breezing yeah. George. Yeah, there's some really passionate young people about and it, it does fill me with hope when it's doom and gloom everywhere, mm. climate change news and not enough action on it, if we're all honest. But yeah, when you see the next generation coming through who, who truly care and they're, they're all very active, they're very vocal, and they're very social media savvy. They're all connected to each other. It, it gives you real hope, I think. I think that's oh, it's probably two generations down to them for me now, now we're in my mid-30s, but that's what my generation missed. I, I, I had nobody at my age group that was interested in nature that I knew about. They were, but they were however many miles away. Um, yeah. And the internet was about, but we didn't have the interactiveness of it. Exactly. <laughs> when I was, I was that age. We didn't have but, yeah. social media, did we? No. <laughs> we barely no. have internet. <laughs> yeah. There was, um, it's, it's really heartening, just without dragging off the tangent too much, there is a group of, I think they call themselves like the Young London Birders, um, and I know a couple of them, or two or three of them now actually, and it's 20 odd of them at least, and they're not just young, they're diverse in both gender and everything else, so it's not just a load of young white boys, it's everything, which is really nice, people from all sorts of backgrounds, and it's just what you want, you need everyone from every community involved in this stuff, and then there's a yeah. bit of hope, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're hoping to focus in future uh, with the hotspots project in particular in more urban areas because it's not escaped our notice. <laughs> a lot of places that are good for dragonflies and wildlife in general are not very accessible to a lot of people unless you've got a car, you know, and a, a, a bit of money to run a car and to go out for days to these places in the middle of nowhere. You don't get those chances to interact with species. So what we'd really like to do is find the kind of urban wetlands in cities or near cities that we could turn into hotspots and we could give training to more people if we go to these if we take the dragonflies to the people basically <laughs> rather than trying to get the people out to where dragonflies are already by building community ponds and things like that as well and that's something you know that we we're really pushing is just dig more ponds wherever yeah. you dig a pond <laughs> if you've got a community space an allotment a balcony you could put a barrel pond on we just need more wetland habitat really to make up for all those millions of ponds that have been lost over the last hundred of years exactly regular listeners will know that my pond which is two meters by three meters has had zero interest from dragonflies <laughs> But I've seen buckets full of large red damselflies. So it's just, don't, don't put, let my bad luck with it put you off. <laughs> yeah. can, I, can I add a, a little optimistic note there? Go um, for it. 
I've spent the last couple of afternoons helping an elderly lady to build a very large pond in her very large garden. And yesterday, while we were putting the first water in, an emperor dragonfly flew around us. And today it was nearly full. A blue-tailed damselfly flew across and a bit later a southern hawker flew around to have a look at us. So you create that uh, bit of shining water and the dragonflies should find it very quickly. None taken, Dave. I've had a pond for uh, six, seven years and had no interest and you've had four species in two days. <laughs> Similar to that vein, I think I mentioned it last year. I, there's the we're going prop off on a tangent and rambling now, but it's all good stuff. The Norfolk Ponds project where they bring back ghost ponds, so they dig yeah, out ponds that were there before. So and good. I was at one of them, and they broke the surface as the water came out with the digger. And I think within half hour, they're still digging out literally a little puddle formed at the bottom. We're talking not even an inch of water, just from the groundwater. Within half an hour, there was three or four common darters egg laying in it. Oh, wow. wow. Which is I just love the term ghost pond as well. Oh, yeah. From, I think they, they spoke at the first spring meeting I went to when I started working for the British Dragonfly Society. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just amazed that there were these things called ghost ponds. It's just so cool. <laughs> Carl and Helen and the rest of the team are just amazing all that lot. So, yeah, uh, they do some really, really serious, like, scientific sort of, you know, data gathering from... Oh, yeah projects as well it's yeah it's a really impressive project and they will be on the podcast at some point when i actually get organized to get them yeah, on yeah you must let them on They're, they yeah, will be coming on i'll be listening out for that one <laughs> yeah right and guys well i think we could probably talk all evening about various dragonfly related things but i think we'll wrap it up there because otherwise i'll be editing it for a week <laughs> but thanks so much dave and fiona for coming on it's been absolutely fascinating hopefully people are a bit more wise about the society what it does and how they can help dragonflies now as well so cheers yeah, thank you for having thank us you. Yeah, please please do sign up, join us, like us online, interact with us. We're, we're very friendly. We want everybody to know about dragonflies. So, yeah. Get awesome. out there and enjoy those dragonflies. Exactly. Yep. I fully endorse that message. So, Fiona, do you want to give us the BDS social media addresses and then any of your own you have as well? Yeah. So, we're on Twitter as BDS Dragonflies. And then if you search for us on Facebook and Instagram, just British Dragonfly Society. And then there's your brilliant group on Facebook, which is linked from our page. And so, that's British Dragonflies and Damselflies. Oh, sorry. Is it UK? No, no. It's the British. The UK is the other one. British, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to give the wrong group out the British one the British one is the one that's linked to our, our yeah. page so you can find it that way and make sure you're the right one <laughs> that's the recorder science one friendly one then yes, just leave it yeah, at that very friendly group not the other one isn't friendly but it's not very good on this sciencey thing but we won't go yeah, into any we, depth on that we're pushing people to recording so yeah. yeah if you want to help science and yeah progress of dragonfly conservation come come to that group are you online anywhere that people can find you uh, me personally yeah I am on Twitter. People can follow me on there. I'm just at Fiona's Wildlife and you'll see a random boot print as I did a sponsored walk for my local wildlife trust, Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust recently. So I'll do a little plug for them. (laughs) And Dave, do you have a web presence at all? No, I I don't. I'm not a a very media savvy person, but I do tweet. At Smallshirt will find me and not all the tweets are Dragonfly related. Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks so much again, guys. And hopefully we'll be able to meet up in person before long <laughs> another meeting yeah. but fingers crossed fingers crossed i do need to get down to devon see you next point. year when you come looking for common hawker 
yeah, I might come down there. I've I've got Yorkshire penciled in, but I do you know what? I might come down there to get golden ringed because that's the first place I saw it on Dartmoor. The plan was to meet you and Nick Baker, but he's probably going to be up in Scotland by then. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll just have to settle for you, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> marvelous. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure I can intercept you somewhere, Fiona, on that on that trip at some point. Yeah, if you if you want to do a hotspot tour as well, that's a good country, idea. You can definitely set that up, and yeah. you get Rory involved as well, Rory and Carrie. Oh yeah, we're digressing and people are wondering what's going on. <laughs> the ending usually lasts about 10 minutes before you're used to it. We'll finish it there. So thanks again. I'll see you next time, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, or one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips. The music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.